UX Podcast Episode 189. Welcome to UX Podcast, recorded for you here in Stockholm, Sweden. I'm Pan Axbom. And I'm James Roy Lawson. With listeners in 175 countries from Uruguay to Cameroon. At From Business to Buttons in May, we had the opportunity to sit down with conference speaker Namrata Mehta, an experienced design-led innovation consultant from India who helps private corporations, startup enterprises, social sector organizations and governments build digital solutions for emerging economy context. And in this interview, we find out about the challenges of working within the context of a country with a vast social inequality, where, as Namrata puts it, anything you say is true. Namrata shares some great insights and learnings and stresses the importance of being transparent, having one foot in the public sector and one in the private sector, and getting on with working with the data you have. Um, we, we do have some listeners um, in India. Oh, I'm, nice, I'm yeah. I'm not surprised, but yeah. Yeah, well... We're the, the a billion people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of enormously surprising <laughs> if we didn't have any. Um, but, uh, oh, so so I'm, the really, I'm really curious about UX design in India. The dual opportunity of UX in India. Yeah. What What is the dual opportunity? Maybe I can answer your first one, your first question first. Mm. Um, it's a very new space. Um, so... My background uh, educationally is in sociology, and then I put myself through uh, a media program in a design school. And it just so happened that it equipped me with the skills to be able to do user experience work. Um, and so I think I was lucky, mm. but I also think it happened around the time where nobody was teaching this or there wasn't a place that you could go to to learn more about it. Um, and I think that is really changing in the last few years. Um, well, for one, design is is something that is, um, even though we have a very rich um, culture of arts and craft, design is also very new. Uh, there's not too many colleges that focus on it. And if they do, a lot of it has to do with textiles and crafts mm. and because that's, mm. the, that's our culture. Um, and so it's really nice to see how that's evolving. And I think that's precisely why there's a way in which we can shape it the way we want it to be. Mm. And I think that's what's really exciting. So when I say the dual opportunity, I think I'd initially begun by thinking of it as a dichotomy because when you're when you're working in a context like India as a designer who obviously wants to make something change, the things that you can change are vast because there's a lot that needs to improve. And so on the one hand, you have that. You have this this opportunity to make real change happen. Uh, for people who who don't have access to the very basic things like sanitation or healthcare um, or employment opportunities. And then on the other hand, you have just this growing class of people who have the exposure and access to world-class um, products and services and travel, like people like me, mm. um, who, who live in India but then are able to travel the world and and, you know, 
talk and speak in ways that someone from any other country would. Um, and so I think that that's where the, the it's not the catch, but that's where the, the dual opportunity is. You know? oh, and I see, think so, so the dichotomy, of course, is the, the, the vast social uh, inequality. Inequality, mm. yeah, in that, that's mm. exactly what it is. Yeah. And I think we just need to be really conscious of that um, and and work towards bridging that gap, work towards solving some of these really mm. really tough challenges but at the same time being able to keep up with the world and say we are able to produce mm. th experiences that are um international that are you know of, of a certain quality that you could expect anywhere else and and that's happening um so yeah that i think that that's what the this weird situation this like yeah. one foot here one foot there kind yeah. of thing is yeah. i can imagine that because you because you have the, the 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 dichotomy or the 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 vast differences in in um social um stature in india yeah. and also the sheer numbers yeah and the sheer mm. numbers absolutely yeah, yeah. The, the the amount of people that you have the opportunity to effect yeah. with design is even if you take a segment of the people you're still possibly dwarfing some of our absolutely. listeners own markets Ab no absolutely um i always uh explain like i I feel like India is the kind of place where anything you say is true because <laughs> you will find somebody who who has had that experience or who will be able to validate the thing you're saying. That's so funny because that's what we usually say about the internet. You can find anything, evidence of anything on the internet, but you can yeah. s you're saying it about India even. But that is yeah. true. I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, sometimes it's nice to just read people's um, travel experiences in India. Yeah. I mean, you have people who've had terrible, terrible experiences of that, you know, uh, and then you have like people who've had just the best how do you reconcile those mm. um those experiences is something that that i think we as designers have um have a sort of responsibility to do mm. so you started talking a bit about your background and how you got into design but uh one of your strengths seems to be uh just g moving between uh private and public sector and borrowing experience from both of them can you tell us a bit about your journey and the t type of types of projects you've worked with yeah um i think well one i think sometimes it's hard to see the world as cut up in the way that that we do um and i think my earliest experience of this is uh when i was still in design school i worked with a think tank that made um games and simulations for policy research um and i got to work with a bunch of engineers which is something that i'd never been able to do um and I guess when you're in school in India, you sort of um, you're sort of made to think you're good at one thing, and therefore everything else is shut off for you. Um, and and I studied the humanities. I was interested in in you know I I guess people and understanding them. And so I I studied psychology and economics. And uh, I chose not to do. Uh, I mean I I studied maths, but um, I I did not think of physics or um or chemistry as as an option and i think when i went to design school is when i realized that these ways of thinking about the world and skills and knowledge are just quite unnecessary um because i was suddenly programming microprocessors in design school you know um mm -hmm. and i was like being able to write code to trace GPS routes. Um, and suddenly I was like, wait, you know what? This seems like something engineers do. Like, how did I end up here? And I think that's when things started to break down a little bit to say that, you know, they, these aren't, like we put ourselves in boxes, but then I think that there are, are skills that that apply across and that are easy to pick up. And, and in fact, I, I think one of my earliest um, 
um, sort of something that pushed me towards thinking about science is is the podcast Radio Lab. You know, where where suddenly I was like listening to this thing, and I was like, you know what, these things are interesting. There's a way in which you can make stuff accessible. And so for a long time in my early um, early career, I I thought of myself as someone who could speak the language of engineers and and social science. You know, and I think there was a great need for that. Um, and then I worked at a, a, a in a consulting firm that allowed me to to work with uh, policy think tanks, with private sector um, companies, uh, which is where I met Jenny originally, as well as you know uh, just social sector NGOs uh, and startups. Um, and and so I think having that position and being able to see that like a work with that spectrum of people. Um, just made that more apparent, you know, that you, that you need people who have a vocabulary that can just cut across. Mm. And I think today it's very much about having one foot in the public sector and one foot in the private, um, because I think those collaborations have to happen more. Those, yeah. So I, I think a lot about sort of bridging the gaps between between sides that are always seen as opposite or against, or you know. So yeah, that that's that's kind of. I don't know if that answers. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. so yeah, so so for you in India, you, to in, to to be the um, the catalyst for for change, mm-hmm. if that's something that you you're aiming to do, then then you're gonna need those both the both the sides of the. I think so. Yeah. The equation. I think it's a it's a valuable um, thing to pursue. Mm. Yeah, I, like, I I wouldn't say it's a skill I have. It's hard to define it, but I think it's it's a good thing to be able to pursue for sure. Um, and I think maybe th- I often have a hard time explaining to people what I do or explaining my background or being mm. like, like even the question I got today about why do you work for Uber, you mm. know, um, and, and, and I guess, I think you had a great answer for that actually <laughs> when you were on stage. Um, but I, but yeah, I, I mean, I think I've always had a struggle with this, but I, I also think that that's probably what. That's probably why I exist or that's why I need to keep doing it is mm. because not enough people are able to to understand that or so mm. see the relations, you know. And so I feel like the more dots you start connecting, maybe the, the larger canvas you're you're making. Yeah. 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 It's such an interesting paradox because I, I, I hear a lot of designers saying this, that we're sort of bridging the gap between different professions and different and but we have we struggle so much communicating what we ourselves do <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're communicators but we fail at just that thing what do we do yeah so you, you mentioned uh, in your talk uh, some methodologies uh, that you recommend mm-hmm. uh, can you give an example of one of your favorite methodologies uh, to, en- to enable all this well one thing that uh, huh. i actually loved was when you were talking about work out loud mm-hmm. mm. Tell us about that concept. Yeah. Um, so that's something mm. I picked up a few years mm. ago when I was involved in, in running an innovation program for civil society organizations in Indonesia. Uh, and at the time, I was really involved with a global conversation about social and innovation labs uh, that just seemed to be these entities that were bubbling up because we didn't know any other way. You know, we have to try something new. So let's create spaces to experiment. Um, and each one of them was different. Um, and they, they were, you know, like labs in Mexico, labs in um, uh, Kinshasa and India and the UK and all of these places. Um, 
and it, it it's actually a tool that uh, that was advocated for um, in those conversations and meetings. Um, and I and I would credit it to Nesta, which is UK's sort of innovation agency. Mm. Um, and um, and in particular, a man called Giulio Quagliato, who is a development practitioner and uh, and works and at that time was in Indonesia with the UNDP. And so it was kind of his way of um, um, of just pushing people out of their comfort zones and making them feel okay with what it is that they're doing. Um, because I think we all have a hard time talking and I think it's because we feel like we need to have the answers mm-hmm. even though we don't. Um, and so he, yeah, so he, he, he kind of pushed everyone to do that. And, and I think that's, uh, so much of Twitter is that, you know, I mean, there are people that you follow because they're just such a wealth and source of information. And I mm. think that, um, that the connections that you can make to just, can just lead to so much, something much larger. Mm. Uh, not to say that, I mean, I don't think I'm the best at this at all, <laughs> but it's something that I would definitely advocate. Mm. And it's easier said than done. Mm. But I think uh, for me, it's easier for me to push someone to do it uh, rather than do it myself. Mm. But it's it, and, and that's what I do with the uh, the fellowship program that I'm, that I'm involved with with the government of Haryana. I work very closely with uh, with fellows um, who are going through this incredible process of. Uh, not just personal growth, but also working every single day to, to ensure that development programs that are run by the government are actually reaching the people that they need to and being executed in the way that they should. Mm. It, it's a tough experience to communicate to people because no one's going to understand where you're coming from because there's just so much context to unpack. There's so much of like organizational structure that you need to explain. Um, but I think it's still very important for their stories to be heard uh, and for them to be told. Um, yeah, I think that's that's where Working Out Loud comes from. Hmm. Do you get a lot of pushback? Because I mean, I realize that I mean, you you do. It seems like you're doing all the right things, but is everyone mature enough to understand that these things need to be done? Um, I think some people are scared. I think a lot of people are worried about what will I say something wrong. Um, so they're worried about getting in trouble. And I think that's the same when you're talking about the government of Haryana or you're talking about Uber. You know, people are worried about what it is or how much that they can actually put out there into the world. Mm. Uh, And so I think you need to create some boundaries, maybe some guidelines. Uh, I haven't had or I haven't put too much out there that's come back to hurt Mm. me in any way. Mm. Not as yet. Um, But I think even if that like if that happens, then it it'll come to pass i'm sure i'm sure there are ways of of overcoming it Mm. um so the first year of the fellowship we didn't do anything like this everyone was sort of on their whatsapp groups sending these links to things and talking about the work that they've done and you realize that this is so insular because we all know each other we understand each other let's move this conversation outside of this group you You mentioned i think uh, as soon as i'm done with an interview uh, 600 people in my organization know what happened (laughs) How does that work um, specifically? <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's it's a way of, of just communicating very quickly mm-hmm. uh, what it is that you learned. Um, and I think that's something that, 
that we're doing um, pretty effectively. So we use Google Plus as, as a great platform to just share very immediately uh, what you learned. Quick takeaways, mm. here's what it is. And then you can wait for the report later. Mm. And I think that's often the case. I mean, uh, and again, this is not something that's easy to do. I think as designers, you want to clean things up. You want to put them well. Yeah. You want to structure it well, mm. you know. Mm. And often that's really not how things mm. uh, will work uh, at all. You kind of need to be quick and you mm. need to be present. And this happened with, with the with my experience with the government all the time. Are you ready for this conversation or not? And often you're not because you think that, no, I don't have all my research in place. Mm. It's this it's this like fallacy of the absolute, you know, like I don't have everything I need, mm. but you need to go with whatever it is that you have. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's what's, um, what's important. Things move pretty quickly and you don't want to miss the boat. That's, really, that's a really good point. Uh, I was actually talking to a client the other day who were mentioning that they had gotten a delivery from uh, a previous designer from some research, and which were, was, of course, the summary of the research and the insights in the analysis. analysis. And then they realized, well, this isn't enough. We need to make some changes. So they went back to the source data. Mm. And looking at the source data, they realized, well, we yes. could draw completely different conclusions, conclusions. Oh. from the same data. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, what you're doing with the sharing, it's so hugely important. Never be afraid to share. Yeah. Totally agree with that. So the conversation mm. can continue yeah. rather than just stop, stop in a closed yeah. yeah. close group. And it takes a lot. It takes mm. a lot of courage. Yeah. Uh, you have to believe in um, in yourself. You have to mm. believe in the things that you're saying. You have to you know, know how you feel about something, mm. which often you don't. You don't know how you feel about something, you know. Um, so, I, I, yeah, it's not easy. Um, mm. And, I mean, the people who do it, like, I'm really inspired by them. Yeah. You also talk about quick turnaround, fast return. Mm -hmm. Are you worried that sometimes we move too fast, though? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, or I haven't seen that be a problem in my experience at all. Um, yeah, I think we're held back by too much, in fact. And I think uh, the more you can start let, letting go of those things, uh, I think the more we'll be able to, to achieve. And I think that there's, a, like in India, there's so much that holds you back. You know, there, there's the simple things of um, not being able to be out late at night or, you know, not being able to, um, to study what you want to study. You know, there's there simple constraints like that that might hold you back. And so I think that... Uh, no, I don't think we're, we're going too fast. Mm. Um, I don't think so. I think sometimes things are changing faster than we expect them to, and so we're unable to respond. But I think that if we were responding faster, maybe we'd be able to cope better with, with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the, the example you gave about um, the, there was more people in India with mobile phones than with basic sanitation it's perhaps a good example of how the different speeds of things that the, the internet's been adopted absolutely at a rate mm. that absolutely hygiene has not been able to be rolled so out yeah so the, the the consulting firm that i used to work with they they put out a report called the emerging economies report in like 2007 maybe but they had a wonderful definition of what an emerging economy is and it's it's sort of places of Partial industrialization with accelerated informationalization. Mm. 
So there are people who haven't experienced this uh, new structure of economic activity. Uh, but information um, is, is as good as any other place in the world that has gone through the entire process of industrialization. Mm. And I think that, like, that's a really, I always look back at that definition as a, as a, pretty, a pretty solid one, actually, that explains things really well. I think uh, I can imagine this being a very important insight when you're working with Uber, which is an international organization. Mm -hmm. And when they expect them to, to roll out Uber in a new environment, a new country, mm -hmm. then, then doing that in India is not the same thing as doing it in England after you've done it in America. No, definitely. Um, and I think that's the, the role of the team that I'm a part of, uh, is to in some ways be that conscience to say that you know, it doesn't work like this in this um, in this context. And I think that's honestly what's really exciting. Um, and we're, I, I mean, just the way I think even the startup ecosystem in India is moving, I think there's a lot of people who are beginning to, um, because they have the tools that anybody sitting in San Francisco has, you know. Mm. Um, they're able to build things pretty quickly. Mm. Uh, and they're able to do things pretty fast. But it, does the context have everything that that you know that is needed for them to succeed is also i mean just the way i i don't know too much about this but i think just the flows of finances are very different and i think that makes a huge difference um i, I mean sometimes it's it's kind of impossible so india gets rated on things like ease of doing business or like your your city walkability index and things like that uh constantly uh, where indian cities are compared to london and singapore mm -hmm. and um, some elements of that are just not fair because public financing just works very differently. Uh, and so, how, like, where do you begin to start uh, start comparing uh, the two? Um, <laughs> for a long time, you'd hear, you'd pick any city in India, and this is like a dream project of mine, I'd love to do it. Um, you know, you, you'd be in a train in India and someone would say, oh, they're going to make Bangalore the next Singapore. Oh, they're going to make Hyderabad the next Singapore. And I always want to do this, like, almost like a website where you can go... X is the new Singapore, <laughs> but then actually see how far away those cities are from each other hmm. in every way, you know. Um, I, and I think that's a useful, useful thing to, to like. I also think it'll just be a lot of fun to do. <laughs> but um, but you could just punch in any city in India and be like, you know, Guwahati <laughs> is going to be the next Singapore. Oh yeah, of course, and see all the details around that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> But also even geographically, be like, how long mm. would it take for this city to become an island in? <laughs> oh, sea levels rising. Yeah, oh, you know what oh, I mean. Yeah, no, like, like how far away are we <laughs> yeah. from this from this dream of being oh, this so city that that we've imagined ourselves <laughs> to want to be? You know. Yeah, so. like a harbourside uh, skyscraper skyline. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, that would be really good fun. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all it's specifically all these. I love these tiny differences that you never think about that you're bringing insights about and uh, I hope we're bringing those messages to more people and yeah wish you the best of luck and thank you thank so you much. so much for sitting down with us no thank, thank you. you this and was yeah. a lot of fun so so I I mentioned during the interview um that I thought that Namrata's answer to the to why she works at Uber um uh, that she gave during the conference was was a good one um, but we, we didn't actually go into the details of what that answer was. Right. But, um, but basically, uh, on stage at the end of, the, of her talk, she, was, um, she faced a question from, from the audience. 
um, I think Flake was from the audience, um, asked about why, you know, why do you work at Uber? Because Uber, in our circles now, has a little bit of a bad rep. Um, you know, there's been a lot of issues to do with uh, the ethics of Uber and how it works. Um, but um, Namarata, she replied saying, well, you know, if you, if you knew anything about the, the government of um, Haryana, the, which is a North, uh, North Indian state uh, um, that she used to work with, um, then that's, that's got a bad reputation. Um, so, so moving to Uber in her, she jokingly replied, was, was probably a step up <laughs> in, in kind of like yeah. the scale of badness. Um, and, and she also j- uh, joked about how maybe that's um, her purpose, going from one beast to another. Um, but, but after that, then she, she had some more serious <laughs> points to it, saying that, yeah. that the things that, that the solutions that Uber um, create and, and deliver, um, you know, they they have implications for for mobility, for em- employment, uh, and even women's safety mm. um, in India. Um, and these these mm. things do make a difference. Um, exactly. So so I suppose you could take from that that she's she was saying kind of like you know. Better the devil you know. You kind of it's best to, I'll keep your enemies close, kind of thing. You know, work with Uber because, with by her working with Uber, she can get something good out of Uber for India. Right, there's so much potential there. I mean, every time we talk to someone who talks about the difference in culture when designing, you realize that the problem we're solving with one solution in one country is not the same problems that we're solving in another country with the same solution. So. Uber is probably solving more things in India than it may be doing in other countries, uh, which is why it would be yeah. so important there. And, and I, I don't want to be flippant about ethics, but mm. Um, mm. It, uh, the, depending on the scenario, mm. the the ethical aspects of maybe uh, that we complain about um, to do with Uber mm. in the big in the bigger picture of of perhaps India, it doesn't seem to be that big a problem right now, and and maybe. That's that's kind of okay to to turn a, turn a bit of a blind eye to because of the the value of the positive that's coming out in other aspects. That's where you have to think of the balance. Mm. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I don't have enough insight about how 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 public transport works in India, but based on what Namrata is saying, I, I truly believe that exactly what you're saying that there's a balance going on here, and sometimes you have to accept some bad to be able to do more good and lift that level. And at some point, Uber will be more unethical. Than the rest. Well, yeah, um, <laughs> but but this, I think this, the whole thing about perception or about or mm. you know understanding where things are mm. coming from. It, what um, you know, I asked a question to Murata as well about um, the pace of you know, do we move too fast? And I know that we've we on the podcast over the years have talked about we've complained a bit about how um, our world. In, in you know in technology as as designers in this s- sphere um things go so fast i mean you know we you learn a framework you learn some kind of design pattern you learn something now like 6 months later it's 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 gone it's it's dead dead in the water mm. you've you've moved on we've learned something new um and you know we have tr- trouble keeping up but but her answer in the interview there was oh, i don't think we're going fast enough uh, yeah. The first reaction is, "Oh my God, c- can we can we go any faster?" But reflecting on what she said to us, we uh, it made me realise that you know uh, it's a it's a perception thing that or processing thing that me and you or we maybe complain as designers that things are going so fast because we have difficulty processing you know the speed of of, of 
speed that's needed to process everything that's changing. Whereas, but also, I mean, it's a privilege. Uh, it's a privilege to even think that we should probably slow down because, I mean, things are good enough, so we can take the time to do things better. But they are not not in the situation where they have that time because they want it to become better so much faster because they're at such a bad state. Now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this this is me. I mean, I'm I'm yeah. complaining from a privileged personal perspective that I can't yeah. process the change quick enough. So I want the world to slow down so I can deal with it better. Right. Whereas what Namrata was pointing out to us was, yeah. you know, there's there's a billion people in India. There's still you know far far too many people without basic um, sanitation. Yeah. You know, f- food income um you know they can't go out um, at night you know women are are, are, um, are very um oh this this uh, these aspects of, of of culture in india which is um very uneven and the 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 different levels of society are these vast gaps um you know so namarata is saying we've got to move faster to get these people up a notch that shouldn't right. slow down and she's right she is so so right. I was a bit surprised also by her answer about me asking about if she was getting a lot of pushback, which she wasn't. I, I was expecting her to actually be getting more people uh, complaining about the methods and move. But that, that's the same thing then. People are so hungry for change that they accept that these tools will probably mm. help them, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, and just some of the design problems that she was solving and the way she was doing it. I love that. I mean, the transparency and the working across public private sector. It's 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 a really great way. Of and I, I think it's I, I'm I'm really imp- impressed by um, the fact that uh, Namrata is a is a, a female uh, working in India um, and you know and didn't complain when we asked her that question um, about being maybe excluded by a male dominated society. Um, that mm. that was exactly. that was good to hear. So thanks for spending your time with us. As always, links and notes from this episode can be found on uxpodcast.com. And if you want something to listen to next, I recommend episode 135, where we talk about Asian e-commerce with Stephanie Rieger. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. there broccoli broccoli who broccoli doesn't have a last name silly